welcome to episode two of the Road Smart Biker Podcast. Let me introduce today's guests. We've got Andrew Melton and two of the other senior members of the Manchester 500 team. If you gents would like to um, introduce yourself, Mr. Con Grant. Hi guys, I'm Con Grant. Um, I've been with the IAM for um, did my test in 2013 and then joined the uh, Observer team in uh, 2014. Um, I have uh, done my National Observer test. Um, I'm a group uh, local uh, observer assessor uh, and I'm also the group secretary. Thanks, Con. Dave? Hi, Chris. Hi, gents. Um, David Murphy joined IM in 2014. Started on course one. Passed the test um, first time round, which was good. Uh, later on, became an observer the same year. Uh, then went on to do my national observer in, I think it was 2016. Um, and I'm currently the uh, run coordinator for the group. I have to say... Um Run coordinator and group secretary probably doesn't uh, do justice to the amount of time and effort that you gents both put into uh, this organisation. Anyone who does come on our course will find out um, just how much you are involved in the operations of of this and uh, making sure that the courses are delivered uh, in a professional and um, customer-centric manner. Right, moving on. Andrew, you picked up on something that um, you'd heard a rumour of one of the other IEM groups possibly thinking about starting up operations uh, to deliver coaching for key workers. Discuss. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Um, Yeah, I mean, going around uh, looking on other groups for Facebooks and websites as I do from time to time to see if I can balloon any good ideas that they have. I did spot on one that had been posted only yesterday that they was considering looking at restarting next month or sorry, later this month now um, for key workers and essential services users. Um, It's Sort of sounds a little bit to me like an excuse to get out and ride rather than what we should be doing, but I guess it's each group to their own. And, and this was bikes rather than cars, Andrew, obviously, because they're, I guess they're determining that um, being the separation can be maintained where you couldn't do that in the car. Yes, it was a bikes only group. Um, so they they've got that and i suppose to some extent cvts and uh training motorcycle training through the uh driving schools is still taking place again for frontline service workers so they've got sort of an excuse but uh personally i think that we're uh they're trying to find a reason to get out and ride rather than uh, what we should be doing at the moment. Personally speaking, if you read the um, IAM conference documents, when you first meet associates, your first protocol is you need to meet in a public place that has facilities, which currently there isn't anywhere, uh, or cafes and things like McDonald's and that closed. So 
how how on earth are they going to implement it? Yeah, um, I, I would agree with you. Well, the, the government is classified. I mean, obviously, everyone knows this. The government is obviously classified essential journeys only. And I'm not being funny, but you can't class that as essential. We've got directive from the government and also from HQ to say that all runs are suspended until until further notice. Like you said, it seems to me like they're just trying to get out and have a ride of the bikes. A friend of mine does own um, a motorcycle training school, and he got an email during the week to say that they were offering CBCs for key workers. But like he says, he can't implement it to maintain social distancing and to teach somebody how to ride a motorcycle. It can't be done from the current guidelines. No, and also I think um, if you look at what it is that we're offering, um, it, it's not particularly essential for key workers to do whatever you might think their job is. Having an advanced test isn't essential. Having a, a license to actually use the vehicle to do travelling to keep them off tr- public transport, I can absolutely understand that. But... Um, having an advanced riding qualification doesn't seem to me um, as being an essential requirement for anyone, whatever their role is. I I guess just to play a little bit of devil's advocate, in theory, you could suggest that you're making people safer on the road, and that does actually support um, objectives, if you like, uh, in, in terms of Minimizing the, uh, the potential R- RTAs and, and, and uh, taking up of resources. But I think that's much outweighed by the fact that, uh, it's, it's difficult to implement. And obviously we can't do that in just one or two runs. It's a, it's a duration thing. Yeah. You know, we can't make a safer rider overnight, essentially is what I'm saying. No, absolutely um, agree with you there. So, yeah. Oh, and I, I can, I'm sure that the people that are uh, talking about this are doing it with the best of intentions. But, um, as you say, we've we've got a clear directive from both government and from our uh, masters at IMHQ. I think the answer to that is um, each group is going to make their own decision, but... Um, from the four of us, uh, Manchester 500 won't be restarting operations until such time as we get a clear directive from both government and the IAM to say that um, the hold has been lifted and we can carry on. We're not going to take that decision on our own. Yeah, I think we can't take that decision on our own. But also, when we do start considering getting back on the road with um, the coursework, We've got three things that are, are happening, all sort of, I expect to happen as soon as the uh, restrictions are lifted. The first thing is we're already seeing an increase in the number of motorists being caught for speeding. To me, this is sort of bears out the fact that people no longer think about how they're driving and what they're doing. So if they see an empty road in front of them, they don't know how to judge what speed they should be doing on it. So we'll have a lot of drivers coming back onto the road who are rusty, out of practice. There's suddenly going to be a big change in traffic levels. I think that's a recipe for disaster. Uh, we've then also got a number of um, groups which are being set up 
to do things with the best of intentions, such as the uh, riding support of uh, Captain now Colonel Tom for what he's done for raising money and other uh, bike rides that have been done to raise uh, money for the NHS, etc., etc. These events are difficult at the best of times when riders are at least used to riding on the road and um, have got a reasonable level of skill built back up but to do these things when um, these riders it might be the first or only the second time they're out on the bike this season is going to be a recipe for disaster and rather than raising money for the NHS I think there's a serious chance that they will cause extra work for the NHS. Yeah there's some uh, pretty big events planned um, when we're allowed back out and um, not only are people going to be rusty um, there's probably a lot of people who are not accustomed to riding in such big groups, uh, so the risk is um, proportionally higher under those circumstances. Uh, although I, I fully support all of our um, NHS staff and the work that they're doing, uh, I certainly won't be joining any such rides because uh, I think it's... Uh, the potential for something to go wrong is is relatively high. Yeah, I think uh, uh, in fairness that those some of those rides aren't planned until well into next year, Chris. So hopefully, some of those uh, people who are rusty will will be less rusty. But I, I think at the minute, well, I have seen an increase in volume of traffic on the road. Dave, I don't know if, if you uh, traveling up and down and seeing more more traffic on the road, but yeah. equally. Well, over the last over the last two weeks, it's slowly but surely got worse. There was actually an accident on the M60 yesterday morning, about half seven. Um, since lockdown initially, there's been very few cars on the road. Great for me because my work sounds been put getting too far work. It's travelling distance to used to. But there has been a steady increase. D- Dave, perhaps you should uh, ex- explain that um, you are required <laughs> to carry on working. You're not just doing it for yeah, the fun no, of it. Uh, won't be exactly classed as an essential worker, but obviously I can't work from home because I'm a site agent. Um, fortunately, we've been lucky enough to jump through hoops and red tape enough to work on sites where there isn't anybody around. Um, obviously, we've implemented social distancing between workers and putting extra hand sanitizers and stuff like that, extra facilities for welfare. But getting back to the initial question, yeah, the, the road levels of traffic have definitely increased over the last two weeks. Um, getting back to what you say about these, these national rideouts. For, for different organisations. I think because people have not been on the bike for so long, I wouldn't want to certainly be joining one anyway, but once you do get the freedom back depending on government guidelines, you'll probably just want to ride wherever you want to ride as opposed to joining great big groups anyway. Um, dependent on government guidelines, as Connor just said, these events could be, even be next year. So we'll just have to see how it goes, to be honest. Yeah, fair point. Well made. Yeah. I think equally. Um, well, what I, what, sorry, yeah, what, what, I've, what I've noticed is, is definitely people driving faster than, than normal because of reduced volume of traffic. Obviously, the delivery drivers are having a bit of a field day, not to, not to hide a particular group. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I live in a stretch of road that goes, uh, that's 40 miles an hour, that goes from that 30, and it's, it's only about a, a, a half a mile stretch. And I frequently see people, you know, terrorising down there at uh, 60, 70 mile an hour because it's a, 
to clear road. So there's, de- you know, there's definitely that. And I think there's been a couple of instances of people traveling. I think it was the one in Manchester was 114 in a 40, um, a couple of days ago. So just absolutely insane, you know, that, uh, and, you know, you, you can, you, you can sometimes tell when people are, are out in their, uh, flashed up cars uh, and speeding that it's probably not an essential journey but uh, you know each to their own and uh, some people float those uh, those uh, guidelines one thing I have noticed on a lot of roads I've used quite regular is because of this supposed exercise you know was exercise there's been a lot more cyclists and pedestrians on a lot of these country roads so even though the roads are freer you still got to anticipate what could be around the next corner. Yeah. I've come around several corners to find groups of pedestrians effectively stood in the middle of the road on an SL where ordinarily they wouldn't even be there. A lot of cyclists around the Cheshire Lanes and Nutsford area that aren't normally there during the week. So you've also got to be aware of that as well. Yeah. I think, um, to pick up on Con's point about more people being back on the roads, sort of playing a bit of devil's advocate with it, but uh, would you want to use public transport at the moment? No. I know I wouldn't. No. Don't like using public transport at the best of times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean... I, 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 Problem with public transport is it's full of the public. <laughs> I, I, I don't know whether that is maybe something uh, we, we can anticipate uh, an increase on, in people using tubal transport. It kind of makes sense. You know, because you are by yourself, it's a, a, a fairly economic uh, mode of transport. So we might, you know, coming out the other side of this, we may see an increase in uh, in bikes on the road, and hopefully demand for um, both training and and uh, and courses like ours. Uh, Con, I don't know whether you've noticed, but I used to drive down Princess Parkway every morning. If there was a vehicle with two people in, it was a bus. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, I, I'm, I'm just saying. Okay, it was wish, wishful thinking. A slight aside, um, I noticed that um, Mag are campaigning to have um, the current emissions-based Rofund license changed to one that's based on vehicle weight. Uh, The reasoning being that as there's a transition to electric vehicles, the emissions will naturally go down and effectively the government will have no income from um, road users. So the suggestion is to switch it to a um, a curb-weight based system so that um obviously if you're driving a bigger heavier car even if it's an electric one you are generating more emissions at the point of generation so um it makes sense to make the weight the thing on which you base the road fund license which will then of course make motorcycles significantly cheaper uh, I'm not sure if that's going to go through, but if it did, I'm sure ministerial cars will be uh, the cheapest of all to insure because they're all full of hot air. Nasty. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> so um, let's just uh, put a call out to um, 
our hundreds of listeners, well, it was actually 30 for the first episode, but that's probably uh, 25 more than I expected. Um, if any of you out there listening to this uh, do have any topics that you'd like um, three middle-aged blokes to ramble on about, then feel free to uh, contact us. You can get in touch with us via our Facebook page. Uh, all our individual email addresses are on our website, which is mcr500.org, or you can email into this team at enquiries at Manchester 500, mcr500.org, sorry. That's enquiries at mcr500.org. Um, yeah, ask us any questions that you fancy having answered or suggest topics that we can uh, discuss. So, um, next item on the agenda is um, what I'm hoping to become a regular section, as I'm calling It Just Depends, which is my favourite answer when somebody asks a question. So, uh, this arose out of um, an exchange that I had with a commercial motorcycle trainer on Facebook, Um he was talking about um, progress and the fact that, in his perception, IAM groups viewed progress as the measure of an advanced rider and that IAM groups viewed progress um, to be overtaking at every opportunity. Um Myself and someone from another group took exception to this, so a, a fairly long uh, back and forth on Facebook ensued. But um, I think he was very, very much wrong. So, um, gents, I throw it to you. What do you define progress to be? Um, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll have a stab at it uh, initially, Chris. Um, I, I think for me it's really just being switched on uh, looking for opportunities and essentially just getting on with it. So it's leaving behind autopilot, switching off and, and, and just driving, follow, you know, following other vehicles, whatever else. It's, it's, you know, getting on with it is, is the simplest thing I could, uh, way I could put it. Dave? Um, echo pretty much what Connor just said. Um, the other way to look at it is also the sign of a, of a good thinking advanced rider is just a smoothness. You can sit behind somebody and it just looks a lot smoother, not, not rushed. You know, everything is well thought out, overtakes are well planned, getting back into spaces are well planned. It's, it's not a case of you've got to overtake every opportunity like we teach associates. If they're at least looking for the overtake, it shows they've got a riding plan as opposed to just being an autopilot and following the vehicle in front. So it's a case of being switched on, but also making good, quiet progress if it's safe to do so. I think the word that um, IMHQ use in, uh, on their website is unobtrusive, which I think uh, is a very good description of um, what it is that you're um, trying to capture there. Andrew? Yeah, I mean, there's nothing I can really add very much to the others other than a slight description of one of the things that we see quite often 
and that would be coming up to a set of traffic lights where everybody queues in the same lane to go in the same direction and there's another lane with nothing in it but the sheep you know just want to follow the uh, the vehicle in front an advanced rider or an advanced driver for that matter will be scanning well ahead seeing the opportunities there making progress through being in the right place at the right time yeah i think there's there's two things that i always say if i'm asked about what is progress um one is it's simply what happens when you're riding at an advanced level and the other is it's recognizing and taking the opportunities to keep the wheels turning so your description of of the empty lane at the lights is a is a very apt one you rather than stopping at the back of a queue of four or five vehicles if you see an empty lane what you can do is um, as long as you're not inconveniencing someone else you can slow down on your approach to the traffic lights hopefully with a good forward planning you'll have um, a good estimation in your mind of when the lights might turn green again and time your arrival at the line at the stop line at uh, the end of that empty lane as the lights turn to green so you keep the wheels turning you pull away without making a drag start and then to apply what david was talking about um doing it in an unobtrusive manner so you just ease yourself out in front of that glut of traffic and you're into free space and um it makes sure that you're looking after your own safety bubble by staying out in front yeah, yeah I, think, I would agree with that. I yeah. think one of the things that people tend to get confused with is making progress and going fast. And the, the two are not necessarily related. Making progress is about taking the opportunities to get ahead, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to go like fast. <laughs> yeah. So I think some people mistakenly uh, uh, define making progress as almost like aggressive, um, where actually it, it is all of those things that we have talked about. It's definitely about being smooth, and it's almost like you know, in in the countryside, you're trying to flow uh, with, with with the roads. So you're not you know pushing it to extreme, but you are you, you're moving on briskly not not aggressively and i think the example you, i can think of an example where you know if we think about filtering on motorways you know we can still filter at five or ten miles an hour and that that's sensible you know relative speed to to, to the traffic uh, and and that's not being aggressive that's looking for an opportunity we can identify an opportunity there to to make progress not by rushing it because that's where our risk increases. So, and it's things like keeping the wheels turning. So that for me, I think that it's, it's misunderstood what we mean by making progress. I think, I think another way of putting it is we're actually teaching associates what can be achieved on a motorbike if you fully switched on and you've got a proper riding plan. Yeah. Plus everything else that you just said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What what I don't want progress to be uh seen as is um I know some of you guys go down to London as often as I do and use that um 
roundabout called the M25. Um, I've been going along there at motorway speeds and seen motorcyclists riding in and out of traffic, weaving in order to make um, considerably more than the speed limit uh, to get ahead. Now, that to me is not making progress. That's looking for somewhere to be an organ down there. Let's just explore that concept a little further, which is in relation to overtaking. Um, The commercial trainer was suggesting that IM groups see this as the be-all and end-all, the ability to make a, um, and I'm doing the bunny ears in quotes, um, safe overtake as being... um, the holy grail of advanced riding. I kind of argued the toss with that, that we certainly don't in Manchester 500 take that view, but we would expect any rider to be looking for opportunities to overtake. We don't expect them to be making overtakes every time, but they should be aware of opportunities demonstrate that they are aware by the body language of their riding and then if it's not appropriate they show restraint and abort the overtake so as as the four of us know you you can immediately see a rider who simply isn't looking as against a rider who is looking but is choosing not to take unsafe chances when um, and going for overtakes that should never have been attempted. Uh, any comments? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I've got a really good example of that, Chris, and I had this conversation with one of the associates I was out with last year, and he, he was being a little bit on the cautious side, as in not looking for the overtaken opportunity. And um, so I'd... Um, we pulled in, had a, a, a discussion on that. And then as we pulled off again, we were going uphill. We could see round, there was a, 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 a sweeping left-hand corner. We could see all the way to the top of the hill. And he chose, because it would, there was a bend, he chose to sit behind an Arctic and a tractor. So I just tapped my helmet, went past him, and, and I, because I looked all the way to the top of the hill, I knew that I could, that was a safe overtake. So I went past and waited for him to catch me up. We pulled in and we had that discussion again. And he said, I didn't think you could overtake on a corner. So it's people's preconceptions at times stop them from being thinking like an advanced rider. So that's, that's just an example. Yeah, I think overtaking is the one thing that people seem to get really hung up on and we either get them that are doing uh, aggressive overtakes that there was no need for or hanging back and not planning any at all. Uh, We had a uh, training meeting before the season started which was attended by a few guys from one of the other groups. One of the things that uh, the LOA said was that when you see a clean, nice overtake on an A road or a B road, you know that somebody is using the system effectively and understands how it works. Yeah. So it is a good demonstration. And I think that was quite a good point. 
But one of the other things that we have to look for is reasons to overtake rather than reasons not to. So is it going to give us some advantage? In the instance that you've mentioned, Con, where you're following a truck and a tractor going up a hill, which are obviously going to be going up at a sedate sort of pace, then exactly. there's definitely a reason to overtake. If it's an NSL and you're doing 55 miles per hour, then there isn't a reason to overtake. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and equally, you know, you see an opportunity, uh, but there's uh, a set of traffic lights ahead. So <laughs> a number of times I've seen people pull out, overtake, and then they stop at the traffic lights down the road. It's like, so what, what was the benefit in doing that? You know, zero. I, I think that's exactly the word that... Um I am use uh, it's in relation to what's the benefit, but also they they talk about necessity. I I find that one harder to reconcile in my own mind because um, unless you've got the wife in the car and she's about to deliver your child into the footwell, <laughs> how often is an overtake necessary? Um, so I, I I do prefer the term beneficial. You know, if if there's a significant benefit to be gained, then I can understand that. Yeah, you know, if it's a very long line of traffic where, and quite often when you get lines of traffic, there isn't a safe landing space. Um, so trying to force your way into a gap just to get ahead of one or two vehicles in front of you, I don't really see the benefit under those circumstances. But I think my argument with with the other guy was more about it's a demonstration that the person is making sound observations. I think what we're trying to get across the associates is when they first start on the course, they look at an overtake of, well, I couldn't see the point in doing it. What we're trying to emphasize is that when they, when they, they get to test level, the examiner, if it's safe to do so and there's no reason why he shouldn't do it, should, would, would expect it. Our job is to ensure that they do it correctly. We get a lot of people swan necking in order, or they're actually overtaking the vehicle before they've had a look and things like that. I think if the, if the, the text and the, the way they use the system is enforced from the very beginning, then they'll understand the reason why they should be doing this overtake. Because, like Con said, then if, if you come into a series of bends and beforehand you can overtake, otherwise you're going to end up stuck behind the car. So it's it's horses for course, isn't it? It's, it's when it's appropriate. Yeah, it's um, particularly on the course, it, it's about that demonstration of competency. Um, it's all well and good saying, well, I don't want to. The problem is, if if we don't see you as one of our trainees demonstrate the competency, how are we ever going to be able to help you improve the standard of that overtake? What happens in the situation where you do decide that I do want to make an overtake because maybe you do have the wife in the car about to deliver into the footwell and you want to make progress? If you've not given us the opportunity to help you improve the standards to understand when an overtake should not be attempted, then there's a higher risk of you 
having a go at something that um, turns out to be a high-risk move and putting both you, the wife, and the sprog in the footwell in danger. Um, I'll tell you something. My wife's a little bit past giving birth nowadays, <laughs> but if she wasn't, if she was about to give birth, I think I'd ring 999 for an ambulance <laughs> because I'd want my concentration <laughs> to be on driving and not on what was going on in the passenger seat. <laughs> Well, it's in the footwell, it's a bit later, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the other part of my discussion with the chap was everybody has the right to, you know, not be trying to make an overtake at every opportunity, and, and I won't ever dispute that. However, what we do see an awful lot of on the on the course are people who simply aren't looking, that they are just, uh, I think it was something Con alluded to earlier, that they're like the sheep in the herd, they're just sitting there in the traffic, following the traffic, and not really looking and planning for themselves. The risk of that is their vision drops, they're looking at no further than the boot lid of the vehicle that's in front of them, and they're not planning for anything. So they don't see the car that's waiting in the side road, waiting to emerge, and seeing the gap between the cars... Uh, not spotting the motorcycle, and then they go for it and um, T-bone the poor old biker. It's by looking for opportunities to make progress. That's where you get the insight into what's happening ahead, that you see the road sign earlier that says there's a, a sharp deviation coming up or that there's a junction, or you see the kid running along the street with the dog, uh, all these things that put us bikers uh, in danger. If you don't see them, your time and space to react is so much less. It's this mindset of getting your head up and looking forward and all of that that keeps you safe. But by doing all those things, all of a sudden, you may see that overtake that is actually on. And if we refer to Andrew's videos that he's been producing for the Facebook page, understanding about how to execute the three-stage overtake of coming out and looking before you commit and making sure that it's safe or aborting if not. Yeah, I think, as I said, overtakes is one of the most difficult things we have to deal with. In today's driving... Uh, what Con describes and I often described as sheep mode, where people are just following each other mindlessly up the road, concentrating on the back of the vehicle in front. This is why we see so many accidents on motorways and things where collisions of rear end shunts, quite often in lane three or the furthest right lane, because people are not looking, they're not planning, and they're just following the vehicle in front. I think part of the speeding issue that is out at the moment is that drivers are so used to just being following the vehicle in front, they've actually forgotten where their speedo is. And if there's nothing in front, they have no reference point by which to judge the speed that they're travelling at and whether it's appropriate for the road that they're on. I, I do accept that there are a number of motorists out there that will drive at inappropriate speeds no matter what. But I think the vast majority of the public are probably now finding that the markers that they previously used have disappeared to some extent. Yeah, that marker being the boot lid of the car in front. Precisely. Anything else to add, chaps? 
Yeah, just a side point to that. I think having a proper understanding of the highway code also helps. Like Con just alluded to, then the associate realises you've overtaken the bend. Prime example is if you say coming off a roundabout and there's like a chevron area on your side of the road coming out of a roundabout, a lot of people don't know you can actually overtake there if it's safe to do so. Say, say you're coming off a roundabout and, and there's a tractor there and he's only doing like 25 mile an hour or something and you're on NSL. If there's enough room for you to safe to do so, you can also overtake on that. A lot of people just tend to sit behind the tractor until they can see the clear road in front. So having a fuller understanding or a more comprehensive understanding of the highway code also linked into what we're doing as well. Yeah, it's one of those where an understanding of, of what is and what isn't legal might make a big difference to their decision-making process. And specifically in relation to overtaking any area that's an acceleration zone gives us as bikers a major advantage so we can get the overtaking well within posted speed limits and be away from the traffic because it's it's being surrounded by other traffic which is a dangerous thing for us if we're out in clear space we've taken control of our own destiny rather than um surrendering control to others well a prime example of an acceleration area is a slip road on the motorway joining the motorway a lot of associates very early on the course will join the motorway and they'll get up to a reasonable speed or what they consider to be a reasonable speed when in reality if it's safe to do so they can get up to 70 and then make a judgment call from them as to how they're going to join the, the lanes um so a, f- a full understanding of the highway code is necessary like I said, what, what is legal and what can be achieved? Yeah, it's always entertaining when we start the courses and we give the presentation and uh, we ask the question, how many of you got a current version of the Highway Code? Yeah, rarely more than half of them. <laughs> rarely. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say rarely more than a quarter of them. Yeah, yeah, and I think the way I put it across them is if you don't understand the rules of the road, how do you know what you, you can and you can't do? So that, that's really important around the highway code. Um, I think one of the things as well that we do see, uh, certainly uh, at the at the early st- stages of the course, is people tend to be a little bit cautious. So, you know, uh, and, you know, they say, oh, well, I didn't think you'd want to see me do that. And they're very conscious of being followed and they're not used to that. And, and obviously be, and our following position is, probably very alien to them. And so it's usually a a case of a quicker side to say to them, you know, when you see a national speed limit sign, you can get up to the speed briskly, just don't, you know, just start rolling on this roll. So again, this this whole thing around progress is uh, if you can do it and you can do it safely, get up to speed as as, uh, feasibly possible, probably cover two or three points there. Well, well, well said. Yeah, and it, and it's it's it really is about that managing your own risk. Sitting there in the thick of the traffic is far more dangerous than getting out ahead of it and making your safety bubble so much bigger. You've got the advantage of the acceleration of the bike, so make the most of it to um, put a little distance between yourself and the traffic. And it might be that you've got some quicker stuff that will catch you up and may want to overtake you at speeds in excess of the limit well that's fine but if you've already put a bit of distance between you and the pack you've a better chance of 
managing that overtake to help that vehicle get past you in a way without compromising your safety in amongst all of the other vehicles. So, you know, if they want to go, let them go. But by having got out in front, you're not doing that while surrounded by a load of other vehicles as well. It's just you and the one that's trying to get past you. Okay, chaps. Well, I think... um in terms of the things that I'd wanted to put on the agenda, I've I've covered my topics for this week. Is there anything that uh, is burning issues for you chaps that uh, you wanted to raise while we're here? No, I think we've covered everything that uh, I've been looking at this week. Okay, well, I'd like to uh, thank you all for your time. It's uh, really appreciated. We might uh, be locked up with them, but um, I'm sure we've uh, all got demands from our families, so we need to get back to them. I know mine are uh, waiting to be fed, and I'm the chef in the house, so... Same uh... <laughs> <laughs> here. So, uh, thanks, guys. Um, Andrew, Con, David, appreciate your time, and uh, hopefully we can do another one of these over the next couple of weeks, and uh, hopefully we'll still have people listening to it. I'm not sure about that, but we can do another one in another few weeks. We'll we'll see. Cheers, guys. Yeah, let's see what next week brings. Hopefully we get a bit of a relaxation, but who knows what that means. Stay safe, guys. Bye. And you. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. 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 B